Hello, welcome to the Open Door Podcast. My name is John Creasy. Today, we're going to be hearing from Scott Hagley. He is a professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He's the professor of missiology there. I hope you enjoy his sermon from this past Sunday. Of one who knows Today's scripture from the lectionary passage, the gospel passage is Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Uh, Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there, who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Scott, I invite you to unmute and I'm gonna go ahead and mute myself. Glad you get to preach on this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, the word of the Lord should come with a question mark uh, after it for this text. Uh, good morning, Open Door. It's good to see you in virtual space or at the very least a name uh, next to a picture. Um, So the kingdom of God is like a king, Jesus says, who's going to hold a wedding banquet for his son. The king prepares a feast and then he sends out servants with invitations. Now in the ancient world, the guest list for such an event would be obvious. It would go to those deserving of it, to those with status who can in turn promote the status of the king. Without a doubt, this would be the party of the year. But In Jesus' parable, the usual suspects ignore the invitation. They have other things to do. Some of them even tease and then actually harm the servants. The king is furious, and so he exercises his vengeance by burning the city. An interesting detail alongside the fact that the feast seems to already be ready. And then he sends his servants out with orders to fill the banquet by all means necessary. 
They are to gather those who likely have never been to such a banquet, the poor, the sick, prostitutes, tax collectors, people, Jesus says, that are both good and bad. Those undeserving of such an invitation instead fill the banquet hall. The heavenly banquet, Jesus says, is going to happen, but the guest list will, list will be quite the surprise. Now, this is the, if you remember the previous weeks in the lectionary, this is the third such parable of reversal that Jesus tells in this section of Matthew. He has just entered Jerusalem previously uh, with the cheering throngs um, standing along the route into Jerusalem, laying down palm branches, saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus marches with this energy straight into the temple courts. And he makes a whip to drive away the animals being sold, to overturn the tables of the money changers who profit uh, from religious devotion. And all of this puts the religious and the political leaders on notice. To Rome, Jesus looks like a dangerous peasant making the case for insurrection. For the religious authorities, he looks like an uncredentialed commoner who has forgotten his place and who threatens their authority. So the religious leaders ask him, by whose authority are you doing these things? And Jesus refuses to answer their question and instead tells parables in succession. In the first parable, if you remember, Jesus tells the story of two sons who are asked by their father to go work in the vineyard. The first son says yes, but doesn't go. And the second says no, but then goes. Which one, Jesus asks, does the will of his father? When the religious leaders answer, Jesus warns them that tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. In the second parable, Jesus tells of a landowner who built a vineyard and then left it in the care of his tenants. And when the landowner sent servants to collect the fruit at harvest time, the tenants beat the servants in successive order. Eventually, the landowner sends his son and the tenants kill the son. So the landowner comes to the vineyard and then casts out the tenants, giving the vineyard to others. At the end of this parable, Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, the stone the builders has rejected has become the, become the capstone. This is obviously in reference to himself. The kingdom of God, Jesus warns them, will be taken away from you, the religious leaders, and given to others, those on the outside looking in. In the context of Israel's hope, these parables are devastating. They are turning expectations upside down. It is not that God has abandoned God's people, but that the religious authorities are revealed to be actively working against God's redemptive and reconciling work. God is on the side, it turns out, of those who've been cut off from the religious community, rather than those who have put themselves at the center of it. And so the final parable in this section of the king and the wedding feast picks up all of these themes of reversal again and makes clear that it is those that we might think least worthy of the invitation to the banquet who will be front and center. It is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not the self-appointed referees of holiness who will be filled. It is those who are sick and are crying out for a doctor who will be healed. It is the ones asking for God's grace who will receive it. It is the ones most fundamentally who are open to God those with eyes to see and ears to hear, who will recognize and receive God when God comes. The religious leaders are many things, but they miss the word of God when it comes to them in human form. 
in their claim to power and in defending their own authority and their cherished way of life, they have actively resisted the way that Jesus seems unbothered by sinners and unclean people. The ways that Jesus seems to play fast and loose with the scriptures, the ways that Jesus seems to lack proper respect for them and their offices. And so in their claim to power and in defending their own authority, they have organized themselves against the new thing that God is up to. They have not recognized the good news. They have turned down the invitation and they have failed to show up to work in the vineyard. They have actively resisted the grace of God. But those who have little to gain from the status quo, those who are forgotten and invisible, who have struggled to live or even glimpse the good life, they recognize in Jesus' profligate behavior and message of love, the unbridled joy of the kingdom, the promised future of God. The world, as Jesus presents it, turns us all upside down. But finding oneself on the inside of the party has its own danger. The king finally shows up the banquet. He sees a man not dressed properly. This man arrived at the party, but has not put on the wedding clothes that are provided by the king and that are fit for the occasion. The king confronts the man. Why did you not put on the robe that I provided? And the man refuses to answer. And so the king expels him from the party, out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, Jesus says, but few are chosen. Here is a word of caution. For those swept up in the indiscriminate grace of God, for those who were once far off, cut out, excluded, and forgotten, who are now suddenly in the middle of the story because Jesus has invited them, there is a warning. And for all of us who read this parable and who are able to see what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law missed, there is a large flashing caution sign. Grace is two-edged. It is gift, but it is also judgment. For as soon as the wedding invitation becomes a birthright, a privilege, a sign of our own superiority, we find ourselves in the same position as the religious leaders. We miss the point and end up outside the party. For grace can no longer be grace when we try to seize it or claim it as our own possession. Inclusion in a wedding feast means putting on the clothes of the king. It means clothing ourselves with the garments of God's grace, which moves and presents itself in the world in a particular way. For if we are clothed in grace, we know that grace is always gift. It comes from beyond, from outside, the gift of the king who has drawn us into the party. Grace arrives as a surprise. Yeah, you, hey, how do you feel about going to the king's banquet? Jesus lives within this grace and his fundamental openness for others. He notices the blind man crying by the side of the road. He receives the meager gift of five loaves and two fish and turns them into a feast for 5,000 in the wilderness. He makes room for the sick and goes out of his way to touch the untouchable. This is what grace in human form looks like. This is how the wedding clothes of the king look when they are moving around and in and through the world. They make possible a fundamental openness to God and others. And when we are clothed in this grace, we are opened in the way that Jesus is open. We are open to God and to God's creation. 
We are available to our neighbor, neighbors and capable of being interrupted, surprised, even corrected. It is the posture that makes the practice of thanksgiving possible. It is what turns our hearts so that we might learn to love God and neighbor. Friends, there's no doubt that we are in a tumultuous and confusing time. And it's very easy and actually quite gratifying to read these parables by Jesus as an affirmation of our own position. We are, after all, the ones who read this and see what the Pharisees and the religious leaders could not, that it is the poor, it is the outcast, the ones spit upon and abused who will inherit the kingdom of God. And in an era marked by the casual cruelty of our commander in chief, in an era where a whole block of our country has doubled down on the lies of white supremacy and is actively working to shuffle more and more resources into the hands of fewer people, it is easy for us, enlightened Christians, as we might consider ourselves, to see these parables as passing judgment on those who use their religious and economic privilege to exclude and harm others. And indeed, we would not be wrong to see this. I have no doubt that white American Christianity is destined for some kind of judgment, that we have traded the idolatrous love of militarism and safety and whiteness and comfort for worship of the one true God. But just because we can see the upside down and surprising nature of God's grace, just because we can see advocacy for the poor, environmental justice, anti-racism as the edge of God's kingdom coming among us, does not excuse us to show up to do God's work wearing the wrong clothes. We come to this work, we come to these convictions by the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are included in God's magnificent healing work in the world, not because we are better or smarter or more woke or better educated, but because we are beloved by God, just like everybody else. If our land is going to heal, it is going to need the church to be the church, to be clothed in the garments of grace, to be able to laugh, to learn, to not take ourselves so seriously, who can find ways of even loving our enemies. For while we were still sinners, remember, Christ died for us as well. Amen. Thanks for listening. We are planning on doing a podcast like this every week with uh, the week's sermon coming out and also have ideas for lots of uh, other cool stuff relating to Garfield Community Farm, Permaculture, and the Open Door Church. As always, our music is from This Side of Eve. You can check out their website at thissideofeve.com. Thanks for listening.